darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In restless dreams, I walked alone. Streets of cobblestone, neath the halo of a street lamp. I turn my Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again aboard the BYU Hype Train podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wheat. That's Joe Wheat27 on Twitter. As always, joined by my bros, uh, Trevor Levitt and Hunter Miller. And I'm just tired, man. <laughs> Sick I, and tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> uh, I, I think like to let you guys behind the curtain a little bit uh, in the group text today, uh, as we were preparing for the show, Hunter just says, I don't even know what to talk about. And I kind of agree. Like there's not, there's not really much to say at this point other than BYU's lost four in a row. And I cannot tell you guys how depressing it was to realize that the college football playoff ranking show was tonight. And for the first time in two years, BYU was not included. We don't have to argue about if where <laughs> they're ranked and if it's too high or if it's too low or what's going on, which I didn't realize I missed so much. Wherever it is, it's too high. Yeah. I mean, they really should be, do you like in all honesty, if they did a top 50 ranking, I don't think BYU would make it. They did a top 70 ranking. Yes. Barely. I'd say yes. I think they'd I mean, NCAA basketball tournament is a round of 68. I think we're we're playing in game. 68 team. (laughs) First, last four in. tournament. Yeah, last four in. I don't know. I'd probably say first four out. Yeah. It's still top 70. I'd say that's <laughs> top seven. Let's go. Top half. It's start. Welcome to the BYU Hype Train podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the home of your top 70 BYU Cougars. Ranked. Uh, well. Yeah, I'm kind of just out was... of answers at this point, really. Like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. They we, stink. I mean, we, we do have a rundown. So, like, don't don't think that this is just going to be, like, a 10-minute episode <laughs> where we just say, well, we got nothing for you guys, and then log off. We still Big got a lot to talk about. End it. Yeah. As, as not, if any of you guys – As if any of you guys who have been following me for the last, you know, three years on Twitter think that I could possibly run out of things to say. I was, I was going to say, I'm impressed you can get to 10 minutes. I mean, we're at two. We're at two and a half right now, <laughs> and we're kind of like, yeah. Uh, what do we say? Like everything's been. It's the same stuff we said last week, but this week now. Which means, much like the BYU football team, we could just phone it in for the next seventy-five percent of the show. Oh gosh! <laughs> if we if we loved each other a little harder, we'd be able to at least make a twenty-minute uh, podcast. That's just that's what we need to start with: is just go around saying nice things about each other. Then this Just podcast will turn itself around. Let's, let's laugh do this. through the pain. Laugh through the pain, boys. Let's do this. Actually, that's a good idea, Trevor. Since it's the Hype Train podcast, we have to go around the room and everyone has to say one good thing about the BYU football team. 
We'll start with Trevor. Okay. Since it was his idea. You know what? Pick it off. I, I will say we the one one good thing about the BYU football team is they're about to be making way more money. That's uh we learned that this weekend. Um, so they're worth a lot more financially. Um, which I mean as a former track athlete who basically got the scraps of what the football team brought in. Uh, the scraps are going to be quite larger for the for the new track athletes. So I'm excited about that. Um, Trevor's one good thing about the BYU football but, team no, but, turned but, into <laughs> one good thing for the track and field team. <laughs> no, but in reality, in reality, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later. I did. I know that you know the ECU. the The ending is not what we wanted, but I did see more effort this week in a loss. So I. I am going to say that they, after they really did kind of mail it in against Liberty, there was an effort made against ECU, and it's progress. And it's slow progress, but I, I'm grateful that the, the guys were willing to come back after a pretty embarrassing loss and at least, you know, step it up a little. Yeah, kind of in that same vein. They haven't quit, uh, and that's more than I could say for what I was feeling last week. I thought the, you know, the guys had quit on the season and quit on the team. Um, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, I saw a lot of effort against DCU. Um, but unfortunately, I don't know, like it just kind of felt like the energy in the stadium was weird. Uh, the whole night just felt weird. It, I, I'm trying to think of like the right analogy of how to describe it, but like just going in knowing that BYU is a better football team than ECU, but just I, I, I guess on paper they're a better team than ECU, but right now they're just not, and everyone knew it. And so everyone was just kind of waiting for BYU to just like make a play and get their confidence back, and that just never seemed to happen. It felt like it just felt like the team was on training wheels all night in the moment that anyone – like put any kind of expectation on that they just fell off the bike. But I, like I said, they, they still tried, they got on the bike, which is, which is something. <laughs> like they showed up to the stadium. What? <laughs> like that's what... Well, not everyone showed up on time. Uh, apparently. Oh, Joe's got all the digs right now. If, if you know, you know, but uh, I mean, we can rehash uh, that argument if you want. Me and Trevor, I still please, think, are on opposite sides no. of the Please no. it's okay. Table. It's okay. Burn we're it. Not, Burn we're it not, with fire. We're not bringing individual players who probably won't be on the team next year into this. Uh, I didn't say nothing about the player. Well, that's even worse. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I actually have more positive stuff, like positive takeaways to take away from the ECU game, but we'll get to that a little later. But, uh, Hunter, what's yours? Uh, for the first time in four weeks, BYU defense wasn't the reason they lost. So that's, yeah. I guess, that's kind of nice. That's a good one. Yeah. So, so a lot of energy. That's really, that's tonight. as hyped as I can get. <laughs> really, the first um, time all season. Not just the last uh, weeks, I feel like. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Liberty. I guess Liberty was everything. Notre Dame was kind of everything. But, uh, like, that one was a game where the defense, like, should have won you the game if the offense would have just 
like been kind of competent towards the end, but fortunately, different story. And here we are at uh, four and five with two and five in our last seven and uh, Owen four in the last four. So I think it was, uh, the I think it was train rolls on. I think it was Caleb Turner that he posted a picture of the, of the Utah state uh, New Mexico game. And then right below it was Boise state and BYU. And he's like, what if I told you that at this time next Saturday, BYU and Utah state could have the same record. And I think what, little bit of heart I had left, I think broke a little bit. So Caleb, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out for us. We uh, really appreciate that. I hope that's not the case, but. But with that, uh, I guess let's just kind of get right into our actual, the meat of our show. Um, we, I mean, we still have our, our overreactions, but I think instead of like just overreacting to, to what we saw against ECU specifically, just, I guess, more general thoughts I've been having as as uh, as I've been trying to digest the game this week. Um, my first thought is that this is what the like we've said a lot about like the offensive struggles this season and how we feel like the offense is kind of regressed. I think all of us would agree that the offense hasn't lived up to our expectations. But like when I really dig into it, my thought is that this is exactly what the offense would have looked like last year if it wasn't for Tyler Algier. Do you guys agree or disagree? Hunter, I'll let you go first on that. Uh, I'm going to agree. Like, I think we, and like, when I say we, I include myself, kind of underestimated the departure of Tyler Algier. Like, Tyler Algier had a historic season last year for BYU. Like, more, I think it's more rushing yards than anyone in B a single season for BYU. Like, mm -hmm. broke all these records, was, you know, kind of cemented himself as, like, a top five. plus touchdowns. Yeah. Top five, maybe top three running back of all time for BYU, right? Like, that's how special of a season Tyler Algier had last year. And anytime the offense was sputtering, they could always look to Tyler and be like, hey, like, he'll go out there and he'll get us some yards and he'll get us a touchdown and we need to sustain a drive here, or we need points on the board on this drive. It's fourth and two. We need a first down. Like Tyler was the guy that could get you that every single time. And BYU just doesn't have like anything like that. So as soon as the offense starts to sputter, as soon as something's not working, there's not a way to get out of that funk for BYU offense this season. And so, yeah, I think not having Tyler this year kind of shows what the offense would have been like even last year without him. Because right? obviously now he's in the NFL, scored a touchdowns and back-to-back -back games there is the starting running back for the first place Atlanta Falcons in the NFC South like Tyler is a dude and I think we talked a lot about all the returning talent for BYU on especially on offense with Jaron with the offensive line Puka Gunner you know all those guys were coming back and we figured oh well you know we got Chris Brooks coming in he's a solid player coming from another P5 school like he can kind of plug and play uh, which I think looking back and with the benefit of hindsight, we all kind of did a disservice to Tyler Algier there thinking that, you know, anyone could come in and even like somewhat replicate what he did a season ago, um, which sucks. I mean, I, again, I don't think like that's, you know, the loss of Tyler. I think if you had Tyler this year, things wouldn't be a whole lot different record wise, just because again, like we just mentioned a couple minutes ago, like, the BYU defense has been the core issue for the team this year. Um, 
but I think ECU is a game that you easily flip if you have Tyler Algier out there. Um, maybe Notre Dame is a game that you win with Tyler Algier out there. You probably still lose to Arkansas, Liberty, and uh, Oregon. But, you know, those are two games right there that I think if Tyler Algier is on this BYU offense and everything else is the same, if the defense is playing the same like they are this year, if Jaron Hall is still struggling like he is this year, I still think that's two games that just the mere presence of Tyler Algier flips those games in BYU's favor. Yeah, and like even if even if BYU doesn't beat Oregon and Liberty, it's closer. Like yeah. I, I think the offense doesn't just roll over and die in those games. But let's yeah. say you, Trev. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, I think it's an accurate um, assumption. It 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 feels a little. Um, I mean, it's good to talk about. It does feel a little silly to say out loud of like, oh, this BYU. Because <laughs> what we're essentially saying is this BYU offense, as Hunter pointed out, isn't as good without their all-time NFL running back. I mean, naturally, right? I mean, we've been we've been spoiled at the quarterback position because we honestly could have been saying the same thing when Zach Wilson left. Uh, but thankfully, Jaron stepped in and has been the guy's thrown 21 touchdowns uh, to three picks this year. He had a great season last year as well. Um, but a guy like Tyler, I think the biggest thing that we've had the hardest time replacing, it wasn't his speed. It wasn't his size. It was his heart. And I think that that's something that we've missed dearly. Because, I mean, I'm, I met him once. Um, I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but he had this, like, signature hamburger at this place uh, for an NIL deal before he went pro. And he's just a guy that loves life and loves football. And, and just, like, being around him made, like, my day better just like one of the, just kind of one of those guys you plug him into a football team and all of a sudden, you know, practice is a lot more fun. Like doing the hard things right is a lot easier. And so I think trying to replace that was going to be very, very difficult because it's, it's, it's easy to replace like speed. It's easy to replace a guy of his size with the, with Chris Brooks, who's, you know, the same size, maybe a little bit heavier. Um, but what we are truly missing and what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is, is hard. And, and he had all of it. So I uh, no, I definitely think this is a team that looks a lot different last year without Tyler Algier for sure. Yeah. And I think the reason I bring this up is I hear, and I've thought this at different points throughout the season of like, man, our running game, like our offensive line just sucks. Like they're, they've really regressed. They've really taken steps back. We expected them to be, you know, all world this season and they just haven't been. Honestly, like when I really like when I dig down into like the numbers of it, they have it, they've actually been pretty on par with what they were last year. And according to PFF, they're uh, they're better in pass blocking than than they were last year. Um, so they're first in the country this year. They were second in the country last year uh, with a ninety point one grade this season in pass blocking. In run blocking, they're thirty second this year when they were ninth last year. Um, so like they're better in pass blocking a little bit worse in run blocking, but like, they're not bad. It's not like this is, you know, we were expecting it to be a top 10 offensive line in the country and maybe it's more like top 15, but like they haven't been bad. It's, it's been about what they were last season. Um, in terms of yards per play last season, BYU was averaging 6.6 .6 yards per play this year. They're averaging 6.4. So it's not like, it's not like the, the offense has taken a massive step back. The difference is you just don't have a guy that can get you one yard. Like you don't have a, like really the, the, 
the Achilles heel for this offense all season long has just been that those short yardage situations. Um, and I like we're A-Rod is getting attacked mercilessly because of his inability to pick up a first down and fourth down. And there's probably something fair to that, but like, I'm at, I'm kind of at the point now we're watching BYU on fourth and one. I have no idea what, like what we want A-Rod to do because he's done, I mean, everything except like, you know, put a fullback in, uh, put two fullbacks in and like <laughs> let Houston Hamuli clear the path. But like we asked him to put the ball in Jaron's hands and he did twice and Jaron couldn't do it. Uh, they called the QB sneak on fourth and one. And then they called uh, a little tight end out. And we like, again, we're asking for Jaron to like, we're asking for A-Rod to get the tight ends involved. Like he got the tight ends involved and they still couldn't pick up a, a third and one. And so like, it's not the play calling. Like A-Rod has done literally every possible configuration to try and figure out how to get a play, like get a first down on, on, you know, third, fourth and one situations. The issue has been this season there just isn't that guy who's going to go and make a play like Lopini. I love the guy, but he's just not quite powerful enough to pick up that yard. Miles Davis. I love the guy, but he needs to put on about 25 pounds in the off season. Cause against ECU, I don't think I, I don't think he really had any yards after contact. And so putting those guys in that situation is just kind of a no win situation for them. But like we, that, that the QB sneak, we saw Jaron gain five yards on a QB sneak because the offensive line got so much push and they couldn't do it when it really mattered. And so at a certain point, like you have to stop blaming the play calling. You have to stop blaming the offensive coordinator and expect your guys who we all expect to go to the NFL next season to make a play. And they just haven't. And I think that's where you really miss Tyler Algier is Tyler was just a playmaker. And it sounds like uh, his replacement, Chris Brooks, isn't even going to be uh playing this week against Boise. Is he not? Dang. That's what uh, Mitch Harper tweeted out six minutes ago. Kalani Sataki said during his weekly coaches show that it's still doubtful. BYU running back Chris Brooks returns this week for the road trip to Boise State. Sataki mm-hmm. added that Brooks's injury isn't season ending. So he's going to... Same at some point. He's going to be on fire against Utah Tech in like the one other game <laughs> this year. <laughs> not season ending, but uh, he'll play like one more of the remaining three games. Good news is he knows Stanford. It's true. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see him run for 150 against Stanford. Yeah, what's his um, history against Stanford? I'll have to look that up. Uh, I think that was actually his best game last season, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, I'm not, I'm uh, not. next topic. Uh, Jaron is more injured than we initially thought. True or not true? Oh, that's a tough one for me because – like Jaron has obviously played through a lot of injuries. I mean, he played against Utah. He played against Arizona state with broken ribs um, or cracked ribs, at least probably not broken. Um, And, and played fine, Uh, which I mean, it probably actually, I kind of started talking, not sure how I felt about it, but as, as I've kind of (laughs) gotten my thoughts out of, maybe he is because I mean, I mean, you look at, exactly last season i mean he had a couple of uh cracked ribs but he played so well against utah and he played so well against arizona state that when it was announced that he couldn't play the following weeks i was a little surprised because it's like you couldn't tell um but the jaron we have right now look he looks a little hindered he does he looks like there that there's there's velocity that's lacking although he was a lot more aggressive this week 
running the football, which I liked. He really made ECU pay on on several occasions. Um, so I he could be more injured. I I can't tell. Um, the scary thought is is he injured more physically, or is it a mental thing now? You know, is is he is he too worried about his shoulder that it's hindering what he's doing? Because that that can almost be worse. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. Um, but what the injury is, I don't know. I'm gonna say no. Because to me, what it looks like with Jaron is almost so much more mental than it is physical for him at this point. Like, it's just like, you can see that he still has the capabilities, right? Like he had that throw to Puka for the touchdown against ECU. He had that throw um, to Keanu Hill and on the first drive, that was a PI. Like those are two well-placed balls. What it seems to me like Jaron's biggest issue recently has just been going through his progressions and not, getting a little anxious in the pocket or trying to fit balls into tight windows when he has other guys that are open. Like it's just almost like he feels like it's all on his shoulders and he has to go out there and make a play that he's forcing things where we didn't see that to start the year. Right. Like he's forced that one pass against USF that resulted in an interception and everyone's like, Whoa, that's like, so uncharacteristic for Jaron to like try to fit the ball into a tight window in the back corner of the end zone into double or triple coverage or whatever it was. And like, we're like, well, like live and learn, like no one's perfect. Like that's not a mistake he's going to make again, but it seems like we're seeing that like multiple times a game now where it's just uncharacteristic throws for him. And whether that's due to like physical limitations because of injury or just because of all the pressure that's on his shoulders to, the degree of like the offense has to score, you know, 40 points or they're not going to win or whatever it is. It just, to me, it just seems like his decision-making, his ability to go through his progressions, to find open receivers, like that's diminished over the last few weeks. Um, And like, like I said, like, I don't know the root cause of it because again, like that's not something we saw from him last season or to start this season, even. I I mean, I real quick, Joe, uh, I I hope, I would hope that it's not he's getting anxious in the pocket if if he's getting anxious behind the best pass blocking line in college football. Because, I mean, but you might be right. Like, there are times where he does look a little skittish. I, I don't want to derail this too much. And, Joe, I'll, you know, I'll let you finish first before we come back if you'd like to. But how, like, one of my overreactions that we didn't, I didn't put on here, but I'm just curious do you think sometimes Roderick has too much control over what the quarterbacks do? Or maybe the quarterbacks have put a little bit too much trust into Roderick. I just, I feel like there's not been a bunch of freedom for like, you look at Zach Wilson, even Jaron Hall. Like there's a couple of times where either the one option is open or they don't know what to do anymore. Like at some point is going through progressions, a quarterback thing, or is it Roderick and the quarterbacks coach not teaching them how to go through progression. I hope it's not Roderick's fault because that kind of seems like the second most important thing a quarterback coach should do is to right. teach a quarterback to go through his progressions. But, but that's but this is two quarterbacks in a row. Well, Zach never really had to. That's fair, actually. I, I don't know. I, I thought Zach did a really – like that was one of the things that was 
like that Zach was really good at was going through his progressions through the draft process. Like there, uh, the, the, the famous throw he made it against Texas state. Uh, I, I, Dax Milne was not the first read on that throw, but he saw what he wanted to see, went through his progressions and then, uh, you know, drew the safety over and then, you know, threw the dot to, to Dax. But Zach's and, like, not I doing see that, that in the NFL. <laughs> Right. And, and I see that with, but I, like what I see with Jaron is I see a quarterback who's going through his progressions. I just see him doing it really slow. So like, I don't know what it is like, and it hasn't been like this all season. And like, these aren't even the most difficult defenses Jaron is playing. So like, the, I mean, I'll go through the stats in a second, but there's a very clear line of delineation between when he got hurt against Utah state before and after he's a completely different quarterback statistically. And I think we're seeing that with the way he's going through his reads. There was one play in particular I'm thinking of. I think it was – so it was a, it was a deep corner, um, and I can't remember who it was to. I think it was to Chase Roberts. Um, and he was open the entire way. It looked like the same play that uh, they ran against Baylor in that two-minute drill. Um, and he was just like a second or two late, and uh, the Chase ended up catching it, but it was out of bounds. And it's stuff like that where – the throw was there, but it just was a second too slow. And so I think that's kind of been like, in as far as the draft process goes, that's going to be the biggest knock on Jaron is he's just not processing the information quickly, but I'm not sure how much of that is like the, the weird thing is like, you can draw a very clear line as to when he started struggling with that. And when he got hurt against Utah state. Um, I mean, it's also coincidentally when BYU started losing and defense started playing bad, like, <laughs> Kind of a lot of things became unraveled, like at that moment. But like, I mean, but let's look at the stats. So when I was going through it, I was thinking I'd see, like when I was going through the data, I was thinking that I would see that the play calling has changed since Jaron got hurt. And it really hasn't with the exception of ECU. Um, on the season, Jaron is uh, about on average, I think Jaron is about... 18% or sorry, uh, roughly about 25% of Jaron's throws are between 10 and 20 yards and about, uh, 56% of his throws are, uh, within 10 yards and under against ECU, 64% of his throws were 10 yards or less. So, and he only threw one pass between 10 and 19. And so I think there's like a very clear, I don't know if that's just play calling, but for some reason, Jaron completely abandoned the intermediate throw against CCU, which is kind of weird. But like since he's been hurt against Utah State, before he was hurt, he was 46% completion on deep balls, 65% uh, on intermediate, 90% on both short uh, or 90% on all short passes. Um, and now he's 32% on deep balls, 52% uh, on intermediate throws, and 74% uh, on short. So like his stats have taken a dive, at least his completion percentage has since he's gotten hurt at all three levels of throws. Um, and I think that's kind of concerning, but I think that's, to me, that says we have a quarterback right now who doesn't trust his shoulder. Um, I think I've said before that like, he's playing with a separated shoulder right now. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm feeling like we, we have, we're right now we're playing with a quarterback who doesn't trust his arm. So again, is that like physical injury or just mentally it's 
too much right now. Like coming back from injury and having to carry this BYU team. You know, everyone's everyone's asking for a leader on the field, right? And in the locker room, like, and expecting Jaron to be that guy. Like how much of it is just the pressures that are going on and like the mental aspect of it, right? I don't know. It is is true. Like you look at the numbers, just like if you're just box score surfing, like his completion percentage hasn't changed that much. It it was dipped below 50%. The only time was against Liberty. Like his touchdowns are still like consistently like to a game. His quarterback rating has been, you know, over 115 every single week. But then you just look at the like passing yards and three of the four lowest passing yard totals are three of BYU's last four games. Like he was throwing like high 200s, 300 yards per game. And then Liberty 187, East Carolina 144, Notre Dame 120. Yeah. Like like I said, like I, he's making the throw, like the ratings are there. Like if you're just going like through the box score, like everything looks normal, except you get to those, you know, the yards there. And it's just, there's no chunk yardage plays to be had, which again, could come back to that shoulder injury. He's not really testing his shoulder on those deep throws, which is where he was, you know, money to start the year, like against Baylor deep to chase Roberts multiple times, Keanu Hill, a couple of bombs, right? Like there's just, those throws we're not seeing those throws anymore but maybe but maybe you guys are right and that it really is just like a mental thing where maybe he's just panicking in the pocket because i can't imagine that roderick has just completely stopped calling intermediate plays but i like we're talking about how roderick is like all or nothing in the past game i'm wondering if that's just more jaron in the decision making where i think right now he's locking down a receiver that he wants to throw to and then just throwing there no matter what and yeah. we saw it against CCU specifically where, again, he threw 20 yards. 20% of his passes were past 20 yards. 64% of his passes were, uh, you know, 10 yards and in. And only one pass the whole game was that intermediate 10 to, 10 to 19 range, which has been his bread and butter all season. Like he's been a super balanced quarterback. But I think at this point, I wonder if he's just kind of panicking and, uh, thinking he has to go boom or bust on every single play. And he's just not anticipating, you know, wide receivers to come open or throwing them open, it feels like. Yeah. Like, and, and I, that I think it is, you know, lead to obviously a decrease in chunk yardage plays. Like, it just seemed like earlier in the season, you could anticipate guys getting open, throwing them, you know, th- you know, we always talk about throwing your receivers open, right? Throw it to a spot where only they can get to it where they're going to be able to make a play on the ball just doesn't seem yeah. like that's that's happening anymore. But I, th- I think it's a confidence thing, whether it's confidence in his shoulder or confidence in his ability to make reads quickly. Um, I think that's the issue, but I don't know. Maybe he'll come back next year and lead us into the Big 12. I, it's, <laughs> let's hope. Uh, all right, and next one. Um, I think the defense improved this week. Is that – uh hot take or cold take i mean cold take they you don't think it. they did at all no you're saying they improved and i'm saying that's not a hot take like they did improve oh maybe okay that's not a take that would get me on freezing cold takes is what i mean yes 
but it's not a hot take being like, oh yeah, they improved. I okay. mean, you held them to 27 points. Like you put BYU in a position to win late. You just needed your offense. I mean, if BYU kicks a field goal instead of going for it on fourth down at the ECU, like 20 yard line, like we could very well have a much different discussion today. But BYU decided to go for it on fourth down, couldn't get it. Right. And then BYU forces uh, ECU to turn it over on downs in ECU ter- or in BYU's own territory. They get the ball back to the offense. They can't do anything with it. They force a missed field goal by ECU. BYU offense can't do anything with it. Like the BYU defense late in the game held their own. Like there are a couple of drives that were sustained drives by ECU that you would wish that they could, that BYU defense would have done better. But I mean, this was a ECU team that came in averaging 31 points per game. BYU held them under that. Like that was like the first time all year, or at least since like the, first couple of weeks of the season that the BYU defense held an opponent under like season scoring averages. Um, so, I mean, you, they pretty much did what you could ask is give BYU a chance to win. That's more than what they had been doing the previous few weeks. And they did that. So to me, that's improving. The yardage still isn't great. I tweeted out before the game that I'm wearing Navy and tan every game day until BYU defense holds an opponent <laughs> under 400 yards. Uh, and ECU managed to break that 400 yard threshold but it wasn't 500 yards like we saw the last three weeks so uh improved yes still not great but they certainly were better than they were against you know giving up 50 to arkansas letting notre dame you know go for 12 12 play drives for points and 41 to liberty so yeah it certainly felt like we've we've kind of moved away from like if you know if ugly's on one side and elites on the other we've we've moved away from ugly at least towards like average maybe below average this week homely yeah sufficient uh or at least it should have been enough with our offense but no as uh, hunter nailed it right on the head um there there were definitely times in this game where the defense stepped up which over the last couple weeks has not been something i felt like i could say um I mean, big, big fourth down stop, obviously, as Hunter mentioned, Um, it's we we did we did improve. It just feels like the thing that I keep going back to is um, sorry, I've been I've been watching a ton of Jet stuff, too. But DJ Reed, he keeps talking about complimentary football. Um, And I think one of the most frustrating things over the last couple of weeks is, yes, the defense has improved this week. But just over the last couple of weeks, we haven't played complimentary football at all. Um, if the offense is playing well, the defense is not. If the defense finally steps up, the offense isn't getting anything going. It's just not a recipe for success in the slightest. And I think that's where my frustration from this game comes is we've been talking all week. Well, not even all week, really, frankly, for a month about, oh, man, like if this defense just was average we'd win games and then they were average and we still lost. And so I, I, it's the defense did improve, but the complimentary football playing ability of this team didn't. And I think that's, that was the most frustrating thing from this week. Yeah. I, what I'm seeing from the defense, right? Like what I saw from the defense on, uh, I, what I saw from the defense on Saturday was that they were trying 
very, very hard to play assignment sound football. But as a result, they were playing not to mess up. Um, I I still think that the, the defense really improved relative to what they've seen, especially on third down. I think they held ECU to what, two of eight? Like, and and some of those were very critical, like third and shorts uh, that BYU was able to get off the field that were massive. Um, but like, I, I still see it where Caleb, like Caleb Hayes had two different plays where one, it drove, <laughs> I feel bad because it drove me nuts. And honestly, it drove me out of the stadium. But uh, where there's a five yard hitch route on, I think it was, you know, first and 10 or second and 10 or whatever. And Hayes is so afraid of getting beat that he just turns and runs while the receiver stops at five yards. Caleb Hayes still has his back turned running away from the receiver because he's so afraid of getting beat. And all that led to was a 10 yard completion on a five yard hitch. Um, Then you have at the end of the game, he doesn't trust his safety to come over the top and make the play. So he holds the crap out of the receiver despite the fact that like it's fourth and 10, like if it's an incomplete pass, the, the BYU gets the ball back with 40 seconds to go and, and get a score. But instead he holds the receiver, which is like the only thing that you can't do in that situation. And BYU loses the game. Like that to me is just, that's a corner with broken confidence. And it's a shame because he was playing with a lot of confidence last season. And so like when we're trying to answer the question, like how can this team that won 10 games last year win four games through nine games this year? The answer honestly is all confidence. Like I, I, all I see is dudes just trying not to mess up because they don't actually think that they can do it. And it's a real shame. Broken confidence or broken trust? Cause both those examples are examples of him not trusting that there's going to be safety help over the top. If the receiver well, runs a deep route. I think right? it's like both. He's so worried say, it about, feels like one and the same almost. Well, I guess, you know, confidence in yourself, confidence in your teammates is the same thing as, yeah, trust. Well, I, but. The holding thing for me is like, yes, that means you don't trust your safety over the top, but it also means that you don't think you can recover. Like yeah. you don't think you can guard that guy. And so you feel like you have to hold him, even though it's an automatic first down if you do. Like give up the touchdown. Like who cares? At least yeah. BYU gets the ball back. But it, it yeah, it's just – boneheaded mental mistakes over and over and over again that just kind of drive me nuts. Yeah. I mean, for all the talk of loving each other that they are constantly saying after every loss, like it doesn't seem like they're trusting each other much. Like it's just, everyone's trying to do their job plus other people's jobs. And you it's know, not, no, they're not just worrying about their one 11th, right? Like Bill Belichick always talks about do your job do your 111th. It's not do your job and someone else's job. Well, like you know what so it feels worried like? about giving up the big play because they, you know, the linebackers don't trust the defensive line to, you know, set an edge or the cornerbacks don't help, don't trust the safeties to help out over top on, you know, deep passes. It's just, there's everyone's, you know, Caleb Hayes tried to play corner and play safety on that play of <laughs> he was out of position yeah. Like he, if the ball was underthrown, he would have been there to make a play, but he didn't trust that Talon Alfrey was going to come over and, you know, cover over the top. I mean, what Talon Alfrey did. Yeah. And what it feels like to me, when I really think about it, is it feels like the defense is presenting on a book they haven't read. Like, I, I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience where you're doing a group project and none of you guys did the work. And so you're standing up there 
and you have one guy who gets really uncomfortable and so he tries to compensate for everybody else because he thinks, well, if I, I can't trust anyone else to do it because I know they didn't prepare. So the least I can do is try and BS my way through it. Um, and then you have, you know, the other dudes just like with this feeling of dread and terror, knowing that they have to perform and they just don't have the know-how to do it. Like that's what it feels like to me watching maybe even BYU as a whole, but especially the defense, it just feels like they're grossly under underprepared week in and week out. And I don't know if that like relates all the way back to the off season and uh, not, not preparing the way that they should have before the season started. But like what, what I get is they got an A on the first two projects at Baylor and USF. And all of a sudden the real project came against Oregon and they just got kicked in the mouth. And so now every time they're asked to present the rest of the season, they just, they're floundering. And so I, I don't know, like, that's kind of, that's the vibes I get um, is just dudes panicking out there um, because they, they weren't ready. And I don't know if that's all on the coaches or if it's all on the players or probably a mix of both. uh, But something is incredibly broken with the confidence of this BYU defense. And I think it all just comes back to that. Yeah. I mean, we're probably looking at similar to what we saw in 2017 with the offense, you know, where you kind of cleaned house there and you let Ty go after the season. And, you know, everyone knew the writing was kind of on the wall there that Ty Detmer was going to be gone. Um, And now probably seeing a similar thing with the BOA defense, right? Where, hey, Ryan's on the wall, like changes are going to be made on the defensive side of the ball after this year. Yeah. Um. Which speaking of 2017, that's my uh, overreaction is that this season is worse than 2017. And I actually put it out to a poll uh, after the game. And I think it was something like 84 percent, 80 something percent of people who voted for it. And which it got quite a bit of votes. It got, I think, 700 votes. Oh, wow. Um, But 82 percent of people said that this year was worse uh, than 2017, which for what it's worth, I agree with them. So this is it a worse? And I'll explain after I hear your answers. I was going to say worst season or worst team, because 2017 was a much worse team than this BYU team is. Like week in and week out, 2017 BYU was losing to like bottom 10 teams in the country. This BYU team is losing to middle of the road teams. But mm-hmm. so like the team isn't as bad. But it's, I think it's more disappointing because of the expectations we had. Um, it's a shame that, again, it's a shame that we've gotten to this point. But, like, we're at the point where it's not just Utah fans who are saying it. It's BYU fans saying that the last two seasons were a fluke and that were, they were just, like, a lucky result of COVID, which, like, is absolutely ridiculous on its face. But, like, I think that's the lengths that people to go to to try and explain why a team with this much talent could fall so flat on their face. Yeah, it's uh, I'm going to get a, a tad philosophical here because I, I, I do agree with Joe. I do think that there were obviously more expectations this year. I, uh, I was ready for a pretty bumpy ride when I was sitting in the Bellagrove Stadium ready to watch BYU play Portland State um, with my pretty new wife at the time uh taylor had never really been to byu football games and so i was excited i I still remember that first game actually i was just like it's so much fun like the crowd gets way into it and then we watched this like i think it was like 21 
to 14 win over Portland State. And <laughs> Taylor, after the game, kind of made a comment about like, so is it like this like all the time? And I'm like, no, it's not. But then like the rest of the season was like that. Um, so expectations were pretty low to start. Um, that being said, is it is it better to have hope and high expectations and lose it than to never have them at all? Because at one point this year, after the Baylor game, like I was riding as high as I ever have as a fan. And it, it wasn't just you. Like I was listening to National College Football podcasts that were talking about Utah or BYU potentially going to the playoff. Right. Like it wasn't. We weren't the only ones on the hype train. <laughs> right. Right. And and so then it came to a fiery, well, deadly, and, and, and like that's where that is where ultimately Hunter, I do think it's it's worse. Is the fall from grace was just just so much further uh, and higher in elevation when it started. Um, but that being said, it kind of stinks going into a season like the first game in knowing it's going to be a rough one versus at least carrying some hope out for like a month, three weeks to a month. And then it kind of teetering out. Um, so I don't know. I really am kind of stuck on that. I, I still think 2017 was worse in a lot of ways, but the disappointment, like Joe said, is just immeasurable. <laughs> I mean, year. we'll, we'll see how BYU finishes the season. Like if they make a bowl game, no one's going to look at this season like they look at 2017. Like people have like I, as I it people people strike seven, 2017 from the record as if it didn't happen because it was so bad. Like at least this season, like the, the issue with 27, like the only reason I'll say that this season is better than 2017 is this season actually had a high note. Like 2017 was bad from the jump and you could tell it was just an awful football team from the very start of the year. This team had all the potential in the world and they lived up to it for two weeks. So like, at least we had those two weeks. Um, but even like, you know, at the end of September, this team was four and one in the top 20. So I, I can't say that uh, like when I, when I look back on the season as a whole, it's going to be like as bad in my memory as 2017, but the, that precipitous drop is, is definitely going to hang in my memory. So you guys both touched on it and kind of the reasoning, because I think if you do, if, like if you're just putting this 2017 team on the field against this 2022 team, like the 2022 team probably wins. Um, wins I think they losses. win by at least two, two or three touchdowns. Uh, I don't know. Dude, that, <laughs> as 2017 bad as 2017 was so bad, was, man. There's no, there nothing look, redeemable look. about that 2017 offense. <laughs> yes. On the defense, the defense I, would I, hold this BYU offense. I don't think so, man. This, the BYU I'm, offense I'm is every bit as talented it, as that 2017 I'll, defense was. I will concede the victory for 2022. I don't think it's like lopsided. That's I, an overreaction, close, Hunter. Like Lee Corso says, closer than the experts think. Um, Not so fast, my friend. But uh, <laughs> like, and again, record-wise, like BYU. I think right now the consensus is they're probably will lose to Boise state, probably lose to Stanford, beat Utah tech. Right. Like, and then you're finishing at five and eight or five, five and, and seven. seven. And the BYU team in 2017 finished at four and nine. So like record wise, obviously 2017 is worse. Not by much though. But um, that 2017 re record though, they had an extra game 
And so they were three and nine, or they were three and nine before they went and played Hawaii to close out the year. Like that, that team was lucky to win the four games that they did. Why are you giving the extra game as a loss? Why not say the extra game was the game neutral site game against LSU, and they were really well, four and eight. Well, but because because the extra what, game, sorry, the extra game they added was Portland State. But I digress. Here's why this season's worse. And you guys talked about the expectations, but when you look at all the circumstances surrounding 2017, like Trevor mentioned, like not going in with a whole lot of expectations, but like the 2017's team, you have a second year head coach whose offensive coordinator and play caller is a high school coach, right? Like as much as we all love Ty Detmer, like he came from high school and suddenly was calling plays for an FBS football team without any prior college football coaching experience. Like at least Tuiaki and Ed Lamb like have division one college football coaching, you know, experience. They know what they're doing. Uh, although it doesn't always look like it. Um, so you have a second year head coach with a high school coach as your offensive coordinator and play caller. You lose Taysom Hill from 2016 to 2017. You lose your school's all time leading rusher in Jamal Williams from 2016 to 2017 you lose studs on the defense like harvey longy who goes to the nfl you lose francis bernard who is suspended and kicked off the team who played in 2016 didn't play in 2017 so you not only like lose all your star players but you're still kind of getting your feet wet right a first time head coach into a second year like first year i think we all can agree that it was just the veteran experience of that BYU roster that led BYU to that record they did. It wasn't necessarily Kalani as a coach. It was the experience of Jamal and Fred Warner and Harvey Longy kind of carrying that team along, kind of Kua. Um, so 2017, like, they really had no business even being that good with all the production they lost with bringing in this new coaching staff. Again, like, you have a, coaches who had never coached in college before this year, you return your quarterback, you return your entire defense, you return all your wide receivers, you return your entire offensive line. Like you went from uh, eleven and one to ten and three, and now here you come into this season. And for them to not only like they didn't get better, right? Like not getting better would be beating ECU. You probably beat Arkansas. You beat Liberty. You probably still lose to like Oregon on the road, right? Like that would be at least not getting better. But to take so far of a step backwards that you lose by, you know, 30 points to Liberty, you lose at home to ECU, you give up 50 to an Arkansas team that had been came, that came in with a three game losing streak like this. That's what makes it so much worse is like at least there were the things surrounding the 2017 team where you're like, OK, yeah, like they were bad, but there were clearly reasons why they were bad. Like this one, this team in 2022, it's just like clearly they're not take they didn't take it seriously this offseason. They didn't put in the work they needed to. They, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, people call them soft a lot. You know, I've certainly have called them soft at times. Like it's just a team that didn't seem physically or mentally prepared for the season, which to me makes that so much worse than the team we saw in 2017. Like we were talking before the year, like this could potentially be one of the best seasons of BYU football of all time. If not the best, sans 1984. 
but like there was real talk of they could be a one loss team, a two loss team. Like there's an outside chance of going undefeated, probably not playoff still, but at least a new Year's six bowl. And for that to come crashing down the way it did is so much more painful to me than losing to UMass with a team that, you know, in hindsight, yeah, like they weren't good. We were kidding yeah. ourselves if we thought we, they were going to be good. Right. Like, and so again, like if you're just comparing apples to apples and this team on the field against the 2017 team, like, yeah, this team is not worse talent wise, but this is a worse season because of what we all expected, what they should have done and what they should have looked like and the reality of things. Yeah. I think what I really want to know is what's it like in the locker room? Cause I, I think like we we've heard whispers all season and I think some of them are starting to like come to the surface now where like, I don't think, I think the defensive players hate the scheme. Like I think they hate the, there's, there's a lot of disgruntled players. Uh, I, I'm trying to be careful in how I, how I say this, but the defense is not bought into what the vision of the coaching staff is. Um, I, and we've talked about it before that like there's infighting amongst the coaches of how they want the defense run. And I think that trickles down to their players where the players can see the frustration in their coaches eyes as they're being coached to be a certain way. Um, and I think we're seeing that specifically with the linebacking core that they're, they, they've taken a massive step back this year. I think we'd all agree. And I think it's because quite frankly, they're giving a half-hearted effort to playing within the scheme that they have. Granted, the scheme sucks, but I, I think that there's some real locker room tension going on where you got guys who are supposed to be leaders on this team that transferred midseason. You got guys who are supposed to be leaders on this team that, you know, their spouses are coming out on social media complaining about a parking spot. And that's like, I, that's probably unfair to say about Peyton, but like, I, I don't know. I, I've just, there's clearly some issues bo boiling over in the locker room from a player standpoint where they're just not bought in right now. And I think that's, I think we honestly saw similar things in 2017. And so you're right. Like the only way to fix this at this point, you got to clean house and start all over next year. Which could be a good thing. Fresh start. No, I I mean just to add just a little bit to that. I mean, I think I think you're one hundred percent right. I mean, I, this this defense has had I well and, and like to add on top of the frustration, I mean, not even I think you know, you painted a pretty good picture there, seeing the frustration in their coach's eyes, especially because these guys are passionate coaches. I know that we would like to see a little bit more passion from them. Um, but I would imagine that as they're trying to get their guys ready for another defensive series, that it's hard to probably hide, uh, in their voice, how they're truly feeling. Um, and then you add on top of that, that you're getting passes thrown on you for huge gains by the four string quarterback, right? Like you're getting gashed by running backs that have no business being as talented or doing as much damage as they are given their talent um which then makes you look bad and and that's embarrassing and then you're hearing it from the fans after every game and so after a while it's like well i'm where i'm supposed to be 
I just don't like where I'm supposed to be, but I want to play and I want to continue to play. And so I'm going to go where I'm going to be told, but at the same time, I'm getting cooked this whole time. And so I just, it is, it's a tough thing to ask these players to, to do something that they feel doesn't work. And then if they don't try, it just gets worse. And you just watch the spiral from there. Yeah. Trevor, do you want to read this next one? Since it was yours. Yes, let's do this. So kind of tweeted this out, um, but the the overreaction or maybe the uh, the hope-filled thought of Tuesday is that this will all be a blessing in disguise eventually. What, what sayest thou? Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I, like if there was ever a time for this to happen, I'm glad it happened now. Like, I'm glad that obviously BYU had back-to-back top 20 seasons, and that's awesome because it builds a lot of momentum. And it gives the fan base – oh, <laughs> I say it would give the fan base patience with Kalani, but clearly that is not what is happening. But it's it's given me uh, a little bit more patience with Kalani to help write the ship because we've seen him turn it around before. Um, but if it was clear years ago – that this was not the defensive staff that was going to take you into the big 12. Um, this is, I, I feel like this is a defensive staff that was made up of um, in, in large degree, like it's, it's a lot of guys who probably aren't D one level position coaches, um, but were brought on the staff because it was what we could afford at the time. Um, and the, quite frankly, the defense overperformed relative to the talent on the field and all of that good stuff. But I think it's it's good. Like it's a bummer that it took the dam bursting for us to figure out that changes needed to be made. But you know what? The dam has burst. It's happened. All you can do now is look forward to the future. And I'm confident that a lot of changes will be made going into next season. That we'll have a new defensive staff. That our recruiting philosophy is going to change um, on the defensive side of the ball. Like, and I'm glad it's happening now as opposed to next season where I'm, I'm just glad that this season, like if we, if we weren't good, if we were going to go 10 and three, that would have been awesome. But if it was 10 and three and we got boat raced every single week on defense, but our offense just kind of like picked up the slack, I feel like we would have seen the same defensive staff the next year in the big 12. And because it would just be, Oh, we're catching up to the big 12. We would have seen that defensive staff get another pass for another couple years. And so I'm glad that, it's all out there now. We're probably going to get a new defensive staff and we got to start the the big 12 fresh. Yeah. Like it, it's, it hurts, but like this three year stretch for BYU football is probably like the perfect stretch for BYU football in term, you know, if you're looking at it big picture wise, what BYU football needed to happen for these three years, you probably couldn't have asked for better results as much as this season sucks because you were good enough in 2020 and 2021 to help secure a Big 12 invite, right? Like if BYU was middling and, you know, not relevant on a national scale or not competing at a national level, like who knows if BYU would have gotten a Big 12 invite? Like there's a chance that they still could have, but obviously having the year they did in 2020 and having Zach Wilson go number two in the NFL draft and 
coming into 2021, like that helps get national eyeballs, people talking about you and get recognition at a, for the big 12 and helps you secure that invite. Um, but now that the invite's been secured, like Joe said, like it was clear a couple of years ago, like these are not the players and coaches that are going to help you or allow you to compete at a, for big 12 championships. They're just not like they're good players, good coaches. They were good for the independence era. But when you're playing Big 12 teams and you're playing UCF and you're playing Texas Tech and TCU, who's ranked seventh in the college football playoff poll, and you're playing Oklahoma State every single year, like these are not the players and coaches that are going to allow you to compete year in and year out. And I'm glad that BYU is finding that out now rather than going into the Big 12 and finding that out next year. And now you've set yourself back a couple of years in the Big 12 because you didn't see the writing on the wall and you delayed the inevitable, right? Like it was clear. Now we can see it concretely. BYU is going to do something about it. You're going to set yourself up and kind of speed up the timeline as you enter the big 12 next year. So as much as it sucks and as much as, you know, we all just want to see BYU win, like it's kind of good that this is happening now. Otherwise what could be, you know, a two year adjustment period for the big 12 could have potentially been a five-year adjustment period in the Big 12 if BYU would have had relative success this year, gotten into the conference next year, and you know things go off the rails. Because it's kind of like BYU essentially – everyone's throwing out little references, so I'll throw out one um, to put it into layman's terms. It's essentially like you're going on a road trip in a car that has you know a flat tire, a leak in the gas tank, and a broken windshield. Like the car is good enough to – it was good enough to get you to your destination, but guess what? Now you're at your destination. You're driving around. It's time to get the windshield fixed. It's time to replace the leak in the gas tank, and it's time to put new air in that tire. Uh, and that's kind of what the BYU defensive staff and defensive players have been the last few years. They haven't been – they're not perfect. Um, they've got their issues, but they were good enough to get you where you're at now. But now that you've kind of reached that point, it's time to – get everything fixed rather than delaying it and end up in a fiery car crash somewhere along the highway. As the great Ariana Grande and Hunter Miller said, thank you next. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I love both. Uh, I love both thoughts. Um, I do. I do. I Hunter, what you said really stood out to me, just the timeline. I hadn't really thought that big picture uh, about it. Um, I, I, I agree as well because I've had I've seen several tweets now of people talking about how this is going to harm recruiting. Um, kind of with what Hunter said, if we if we were middling the last three years, it probably hurts. Um, but with the excitement of the Big Twelve, the announcement of all the money we're going to make, the success from the last two seasons, one down year is not going to affect recruiting. Um, case in point, we've we've been getting a ton of recruits that we've wanted and needed over the last couple months, couple seasons. Anyway, I don't, I don't see that changing much. Um, to, to be frank, I think the recruiting gets better. I think that we bring in coaches that are willing to recruit more aggressively and that in itself is enough. I think we've seen, I think we've seen from plenty of players around the country that are committing to all these schools that, that it's not just Bama anymore. And, and sure, a lot of those commits come with a pretty big paycheck. I think that's something that BYU needs to focus on next is, is getting more competitive in NIL. 
But as far as like players go, they want to go where they're wanted and where they feel like they can play and make an impact. I don't, I don't think that it's, especially with us going to power five, I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue. And I don't think this year touches it as much as we think that it would. So frankly, like Hunter said, clean house, get uh, new players in, new coaches in, and uh, get ready to ride. Where uh, I instead of fixing the car, I think we're upgrading it, Hunter, to be fair. Trade it in for a brand new Toyota 4Runner. <laughs> um, but yeah. like if, if I can if I can jump in on that point about recruiting, like if you need any more evidence of that, like the 2018 class, like right after uh, the 2017 season, that class gave you Gunnar Romney, Zach Wilson, Dallin Holker, Connor Pay. Like you still had some dudes come in in that class. Like I'm not worried about, you know, uh, Jackson Bowers, for example. I'm not worried about him decommitting. I'm not worried about Ciala Sarah decommitting. I'm not worried about any of the guys really that BYU has committed right now looking at this season and going, oh, I don't know. Like these, these guys are dogs and they want – like recruits tend to think that they're going to be the one to turn the program around. So they like, the important thing is that they still have a relationship with Kalani. Um, and I, I think it'll be fine. But I think the other thing as well is like, we need to collectively step off the ledge that this means BYU is going to be a doormat forever in the big 12. Like things can change fast. Like Tennessee has been garbage for a number of years now. Uh, and they're the number one team in the country really fast. And like, I know BYU is not Tennessee, obviously, in, in terms of recruiting, but like, I, I mean, I have to stop and think about it, but like, there's plenty of teams that have had drastic turnarounds because of the transfer portal, because of recruiting. And I think that's something that obviously BYU is going to have to hit the transfer portal really hard this off season. Cause I think we are going to see some guys like in names that we know are probably going to leave, but like, honestly, as far as the defense is concerned, there's probably like maybe three or four dudes total that I would be sad if they left. Um, but I think get in, get in a new defensive staff that recruits hard. Um, and this defense could honestly be rebuilt in a year if uh, if you get the right pieces in. I mean, it could be a BYU basketball kind of rebuild, right? Like Mark Pope comes in as a head coach and goes to like half the roster, it seems like, um, you know, including Nick Emery. And, you know, that was on the year prior with Dave Rose and says pretty much says, you know what, like, thanks for your guys is, you know, saying thanks for your service, I guess, uh, the last couple of years. But uh, we're just not going to have a spot for you this coming year. Right. And some people it rubbed them the wrong way. But whether you liked it or not, BYU basketball was competitive again in like the span of two years because Mark Pope was able to rebuild that roster. He brought in oh, one a, year. Yeah. Was it the very next year? Yeah, the were... very next year. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So the very next year, it was, was that 2020? When they yeah. upset Gonzaga, the number one team in the country at home. Like they looked destined for like a sweet 16 run. Um, Cause you brought in Barcelo, you brought in uh, Toulson. Jake Toulson. Brought back went, Yoli. Yeah. You go into the transfer portal, you brought back key guys that could help them win, but you also kind of cleaned house, got the players, you know, I don't want to call him dead weight, but that's the Nick only Emery. term that that's <laughs> I'm meaning more for the sense of the BYU football team this year. Um, but you know, like guys who aren't going to help you win 
on the field, you know, in the Big 12. And you say, hey, like, thanks for your guys' help over the last few years. Loved having you part of the program, but we're not going to have a spot for you. You go and you hit the transfer portal. You rebuild the BYU defense. You get the new defensive coordinator and who can go after his guys. It'd be nice if we could start recruiting some stars on the BYU defense <laughs> so we don't have to see preferred walk-ons turn scholarship players literally littering the starting 11 on the BYU defense. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's not – Joe's right. In this day and age of college football, especially now with the transfer portal and the one-time transfer rule, like you can rebuild – um, position groups, you can rebuild specific sides of the ball. You could rebuild entire rosters uh, very, very quickly. Maybe not as quickly as basketball because um, you only need, you know, three or four guys there. But you get the right coach in who's going to hit the transfer portal and hit the recruiting road. Like BYU defense could be fine next year in the Big 12. And I think it'll happen like immediately after Stanford. So yeah, like Monday morning. Obviously. Obviously, Let's hope it's Saturday night. Day. It could be happening right now, just discreetly. You can't. I mean, I'm you, I'm sure it's happening already. I'm sure those conversations are already had. Yeah, but I'm saying the news, the news, uh, probably that next Monday, right? I I do want I do if I can. I, we've we've gone long. There's obviously we're at an hour there's, and ten minutes, boys. There's, there's here, obviously here, here, so we much thinking. to talk about, but I do want to make it clear that we have talked about like these players not being maybe ready for the big 12 um the ones that we currently have i i Mike would be Micah harper is i, I, want the, I want oh, yeah. that that Harper's a stud. um i be known it would be a real shame if i didn't say at least that these guys do deserve a, a certain level of gratitude though because they may not be ready for the big 12 but they collectively got us into the big 12 um and and that that deserves you know, some credit, right? I mean, this year obviously hasn't been ideal, but a lot of these players were part of the last, you know, three seasons, um, shared of a lot of success there. So I do want to be careful myself um, in particular being like, oh yeah, like just send them all off. Like I do want to, at least if we're, if we're going to cut some guys or if they're going to, you know, part ways from the team, I do want them to at least understand that like they did a lot and I, and we recognize that. At least I recognize that. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but um, yeah, that's all I had. Yeah. I mean, I think you can still be grateful for what they did while acknowledging that like, hey, Joe dropped off. Um, while acknowledging like, hey, like we're moving in a di different direction, right? Like we're, we are appreciative of what you did, but we're hitting the big 12, right? Or in Mark Pope's case, like I got to get my guys in you know, guys are coming over from UVU. Uh, we need big 12 athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And you go to them and in a respectful way, be like, thanks for all you did. But, you know, we're, it's time to move on for both of us. So, and, you know, offer to help them find landing spots elsewhere. Totally. Right? Oh, yeah. Whether that's uh, another FBS team or whether that's Utah Tech or Southern Utah or Weber State or whatever. Right. That feels generous. <laughs> uh, For some of them, yeah. It's 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 tough. Uh, Tell me, Utah Tech wouldn't take like a bunch of BYU. Oh, defensive I think players. they'd take the whole defense. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, last one since we've been going quite a bit. 
we need to find a new hobby. Overreaction or never? No? I, I have a new hobby. It's a uh, BYU basketball, and it starts <laughs> tomorrow. I think they have like an exhibition game. Honestly, the emergence of Hunter <laughs> as BYU basketball number one fan has been quite, quite the story. I, basketball, the... basketball was uh, more so my sport in high school than football. Interesting. Yeah, Good I, to was know. A, I was a basketball guy through and through, and then obviously I uh, worked for the Jazz for a little bit. So I'm a I'm a basketball guy, but. I just enjoy uh, talking football. T- talking football is a little easier than talking college basketball. Not a huge. Uh, the regular season for college basketball uh, is what it is, but as I think Joe's frozen. <laughs> we've got we've got technical difficulties over He's there. He's back. Sorry, am I back? Uh, yeah. When when Caleb Hayes got called for that holding on fourth and ten, some really a really ugly side of Joe came out. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever watched a football game with Joe. Yeah. Hunter and I were sitting it, right next to each other. It ended with his wife apologizing to me. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I was uh, honestly, I'm probably still in the doghouse. Uh, but it like right next to mini wheat. <laughs> it was, it was really bad. Uh, so I left the stadium wondering like, how I can possibly be less of a BYU fan. And then I woke up on Sunday morning and found myself defending them with all the vigor and passion as I did in the 2020 seasons against my own fan base, no less, <laughs> but like some of them, the, I mean, the ones that you were arguing with most deserved it though. I'm still here. I don't know why, but I'm still here and I just can't quit BYU. So I love you guys, I, even though you hurt me. <laughs> What Joe's reaction was not that bad. It was this I, is I, from a guy who used to live in Boston, though. So take that with the. <laughs> I didn't I, Boston, so like yeah. the, the 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 reaction. I I left my seat multiple times during the game. I I took multiple laps around the Road Stadium. I Coincidentally, really when he was walking laps was when BYU defense was actually holding. It was so, when he was in the seat that they gave up. Overreaction the, the, uh, is it Joe's literally the one play. The, literally the one play I was back in my seat for was the one that Caleb Hayes got called for holding. Yeah. Um, but no, literally, no I like I scream like I just like I screamed something at the top of my lungs. I don't even know what it was. I think I just screamed Caleb as loud as I possibly could. And yeah, uh, like, Caleb, what are you doing? And uh, my wife just looks at me and goes, "You need to go." And so I got up and I left. <laughs> I I tell you, I, it was like the third time. For like I'm the third time. About, there's there is nothing funny about this for me though. Like I'm laughing about it now, but I <laughs> I, I was in a very dark place, and I was worried that I was gonna be single on Sunday morning. I was uh, I was at a Nuggets Jazz game at the Ball Arena, and. I, it really when that when those flags came out because I I knew like Caleb I mean tackled him basically mid route but similar similarly like I was with my wife and kids I was also with my coworkers that played a huge part of it too we all went together but there was a brief second where I thought my my phone would end up on the court because I was just gonna launch it from from where we were I was just so frustrated but. I, weirdly enough, I'm always a lot more calm when I'm watching it with people, like at the stadium with a bunch of other people than I am if it's like just me. Like, I've got that. Because I was just like 
joking and like trying to laugh through the pain with Chandler and kind of everyone who's sitting there on our row. But like the maddest I ever get at games is like when it's just me and then like my wife on the side, my dog, (laughs) well, one of my dogs, the older one, like he has like just this innate, like, I mean, as all dogs do like sense for like when someone's anxious but he won't like come unless you like call for him. So like, I'll be watching a game at home and I'll just be like yelling at the TV. And then I'll look to the corner of the room and there's like my 12 pound dog just sitting, staring at me, just like shaking, like uncontrollably. Like he knows like I'm angry and he wants to do something about it until like, and then I'll call him and he'll like come and try to comfort me. But the maddest I ever got, I threw a remote at a wall and dented the wall. And it was, <laughs> Tom Brady's last game as a New England Patriot in the playoffs the against six. the Tennessee Titans. He throws the pick six, and I was pissed. And that was, and that's like one of the bigger fights like me and Rachel have ever had was in that moment because she was like trying to tell, like, oh, like you need to relax, like calm down. And I was obviously still heated. I'm like, don't tell me to calm down, <laughs> like all that stuff. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know what's lower like, than no, the dog. I was like, house, no, it's not the dog. You're, you're not even sleeping outside. You're not even on the property, man. If you tell your wife, don't tell me to calm down. I was like, <laughs> so no, really, it's not the time. Like, let's have oh, this conversation in 30 minutes. But, like, this one player who I, like, idolize and, like, worship, like, just – and, like, at that point, it was kind of on the writing on the wall. Like, this was going to be Brady's last game as a Patriot, right? And this isn't a Patriots podcast, but – while we're sharing stories. Um, Cause like, I was like, yeah, like this could be his last game ever. And he's going to go out. We're going to lose this game. He threw a pick six. Like it was just like 20 years of emotion, just like cascading down of like, this is coming to an end. And it was at that moment, Rachel's like, you need to like, just relax, like not take it so seriously. And I'm like, you can tell me that any other time than this time right now, like as I'm in the heat of it. Um, so now we have a thing where like, if I get angry, then we'll like, she'll tell me like 30 minutes after the game, like, Hey, like this, you did this, this, and this, like, don't do this again. (laughs) Don't do that stuff again. But sports. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all we've learned, all we've learned from this discussion is that we all married women who we do not deserve. True. And that I need to get tickets next to you guys next season. Yeah. Yeah. That too. I, I get it from my grandpa. Cause I'll tell this story really quick. Um, and it's BYU focused. So my grandpa was an usher at the Marriott Center for BYU basketball, and he was all he was down in those tunnels, um, you know, that are on each cor- uh, corner of the stadium. Uh, and this was while he was working at BYU. So he, he, well, he still works there, but so he's an usher there, and he would just stand in the tunnel and just like berate the refs the entire game, like every <laughs> BYU basketball game, like would call them out by name, and he told me a story, uh, and just like yell at them like for forty minutes of basketball action, right? Like <laughs> as an employee of the stadium and the school, he gets a job in, at Harvard. My him and uh, my dad and all the siblings they moved to Boston for a few years, which is why I have the Patriots fandom. He they come back to BYU, and my grandpa goes to get his job at the Marriott Center back. He's like, "Hey, like remember me? Like I'm back. Like I'm teaching at the school again. Like I'd love to be an usher." And they were pretty much just like, "Uh, yeah, like we're good. Like <laughs> don't worry about it. We don't need you back." <laughs> After he would just like sit there and berate refs 
uh, every game of the season. So I think that's kind of where it all stems from. But we stand hunters. Grandma. And now I must carry the the torch as we uh, get ready for BYU basketball this year and our last <laughs> season to yell at the West Coast Conference refs. So, uh, do we even do we even bother predicting the Boise game? No. Uh... My hope is bleak. I'm I'm at the point now where I'm I'm thinking BYU is going to lose by two touchdowns. I was going to say 42-27 for Boise. I uh I don't know Especially if I have a score prediction. The the only thing I'm holding out hope for is it feels like the last like three or four years, the team that wasn't supposed to win has won. And that's the only thing that I'm holding out hope for. Except well, except for I guess 2020. I was gonna say we were supposed to win that one. Yeah. But you know what? Trevor, you've convinced me. The last time the last time BYU uh played a Boise State team with a losing record. BYU won that game. So you know what? BYU by a thousand. I'm expecting so I'm expecting Roderick to go batches crazy with the trick plays, just like uh what would that that have been 2019 probably? I'm picture yeah, I'm picturing uh what's the word? That that gift from a Christmas story where Ralphie just starts unloading on the bully. That's what I'm picturing from the BYU <laughs> offense. I'm manifesting it right now. Just a just a complete BYU exorcism on that blue turf. That'd be honestly that could save the season for me. Like if if BYU just goes and lays the wood to Boise State on the blue turf, that 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 could salvage a lot of things for me emotionally. <laughs> um. So wait a second. This oh, this is reverse. Uh, BYU is what has two wins on one win, one win on the blue turf, one win in Boise, and it was in twenty twenty. So you have a losing. <laughs> A BYU team that's on a four-game losing streak playing an improving Boise State team. It's in Boise. It's a day game, right? It's at 3.30. Like, literally every... Is it, no, five, it's 5.30. It's 5.30. I thought it got moved. I'm pretty sure they Did moved it? it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. I thought now. they moved, but it was like a half hour earlier. I saw. I thought it was like, "Hey, time change, BYU football." Uh, five, five o'clock. Five o'clock. So it's still technically get day game, still before uh, six p.m. So which we'll BYU be bad for the first hour. Is, but that's what I'm saying is like every advanced statistic, sabermetrics, uh, that Ed Lamb loves so much says Boise State's gonna kick the crap out of BYU. Like you can't win in Boise, you can't win during the day, you can't win in general this year. All three of those things are uh, stacked against BYU this week. So, but BYU is still going to win though. Go Cougs! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 40, 42, 27 Boise. <laughs> One more prediction against BYU Hunter, and I'm kicking you off the show. Even though I mean, everyone say, was I'll so mad at me, right prediction. Everyone was so mad at me last week. Like, what are you booing me for? I'm right. Like, I literally like, I said 31, 24. It was 27, 24. I think the thing that gets me about it, I'll, I'll speak. I'll speak for uh, the hype train nation here. I think the thing that gets me about it is you're either right or BYU won. 
And so you win either way. And I think that's what gets every me. time I've picked every time I've picked against BYU, I've been right in picking against BYU though. <laughs> so why are you still picking? So stop. So stop it. <laughs> like I'm like it's so the point is quit it. <laughs> it's like I picked uh because who did I pick? I picked Arkansas to beat BYU, right? I picked Notre Dame, I think. I picked ECU. Golly. And then I picked Baylor last year. So I'm all right. Well, if you're Sorry, still listening, I call it how I see it. If you're still listening, you're either my mom or your uh, hype train sicko, <laughs> which we really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a fun show. Uh, we've been able to muster some kind of energy. Um, and here we thought we'd be talking for 10 minutes and we've been pretty long winded. But what else do you expect from us? Honestly, BYU basketball preview next week. So, uh, Really, our, all our hopes and dreams rest on the sh- shoulders of Mark Pope and Rudy Williams, who's already a fan favorite. So I love Rudy. Love him. And I'm, it's uh, essentially going to be an hour of games next week where I'm just going to like quiz you uh, on BYU basketball players. I'm actually, I, I'm actually really excited. What's the game where it's like a bunch of people's faces and you like put them down and stuff? It's going to oh, be like an hour guess, long. Guess who? Yeah, it's going to be essentially an hour long version of Guess Who, which so love fans it. can play along, you know, in their car. So love it. All right, with that, thanks, guys, for joining us on the Hype Train Podcast. Again, if you've listened this long, uh, we love you, and we want to know who you are. So uh, drop us. Give a code uh, word. Give a code drop, word right now. And yeah. If you tweet at us, we'll, that's how we know you're a real one. What should the code word be? I don't know. My mind is right. Trevor. Hunter's uh, wrong. <laughs> yeah. Hunter hey. is wrong. Hunter sucks. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> tweet at us hunter's wrong and we'll give you a retweet and a shout out and try and get you some more followers but well well, yeah uh, we'll follow you you. we'll follow you from the BYU hype train twitter if you tweet at us hunter is wrong sweet love it with that thanks guys we appreciate you uh and we'll talk to you next week for our BYU basketball preview after a BYU football win on the blue turf choo choo